Hi, my name is Claire and I'm the mother of three teenagers with FESD. I'm Jessica, a PhD researcher specialising in educational interventions for children with FASD. And together we are the hosts of Spotlight on FASD, the UK's first podcast dedicated to shining a spotlight on fetal alcohol spectrum disorders. FASD is a condition caused by prenatal alcohol exposure that affects hundreds of thousands of children across the UK. And we're here to bring these conversations out of the shadows and make sure that no one living with FASD feels alone. Welcome back to the next episode of Spotlight on FASD. This week we are in conversation with, that sounds really posh, we're in conversation with the lovely Ailsa. Um, Ailsa is a teacher, Um, Ailsa is an FASD education advisor, Ailsa is a glorious woman and probably most relevantly Ailsa is the mother of a gorgeous little boy with FASD. So welcome to the podcast, Ailsa. It's lovely to talk to you. Wow, quite an introduction, Claire. Thanks for that. <laughs> I thought that was quite impressive. I liked it. So yeah, we were just we invited you on because we all mix in the same world. We Ailsa and I met um so I think when I think of you, I always think of the importance of peer support. Oh, and like yeah. peer, peer support is like a you know, it sounds like something that's a bit crap peer support. It, it doesn't sound anywhere near as important or as vital as it is, does it? It's like it's like a lifeline. So we, um, like every parent or carer of a child or young person with FASD, um, there is kind of no formal support or very little formal support out there, certainly when we were starting our journey. So you you turn on, you go online, you look to, to find your tribe, you look to find your people. And so we instantly could tell um, on a, an online support group that we had the same, um, certainly the same sense of humour, a little bit of a dark sense of humour. Um, we <laughs> do, laugh, do laugh our way through a lot of the... Um, horrific moments um, and but we had the same viewpoint I think on a lot of things so we would always comment on each other's things and then um, we met in the flesh at a, a conference it was it was Adoption UK's very first FASD, FASD 2018 yeah. Uh-huh. yeah it was in, it was in Edinburgh yeah mm-hmm. Was it in Henry? Yeah, it was, yeah, that's where we live. So and we met, we met then and then we just became friends and we were always just kind of you weaving in and out of each other's worlds when when it comes to FASD. Um we kind of both work in that area now and um and you do work with Jess and we all do work together and we just thought it was a no-brainer to get you because you you are so you, you like you are right on the cold face of it. You are absolute hands-on. Um the COVID has meant that you have had to school your little boy when you round number ever- three at the moment. <laughs> you on round number three now and all that. I mean, that did make my blood run cold a little bit when I seen that, thinking like, oh, I don't. I really actually did sit in the car and have a wee great. Yeah. yeah. So for those who don't know, um, my son's school has been closed because there's been a COVID outbreak. So, um, he is currently homeschooling for I don't know how long. <laughs> And people would probably think like, oh, well, you're a teacher. So like that, that must be like <laughs> easy for you. <laughs> but then it's like we're in the we're in FASD world. So nothing is straightforward. Mm. So, and also I'm a high school English teacher. I don't teach eight year olds. 
especially now and it's so difficult though isn't it because it's just that's your your mom that's not your role at all yeah, no he knows you're a teacher that's not your role so it's so it's so tricky but we wanted to talk to you about um I think I've often wondered it must be really difficult not to reflect back on your teaching career and just think of all of the kids who you have dealt with who you absolutely now know were living with FASD yeah. um and I sort of think it must be there must be moments where you think oh I can't believe I did that or I can't believe I expected that of them or that you know but then also I think the way you are with Archie I think that naturally comes from because I, I always feel like you are a naturally therapeutic parent and some people are some people aren't you can always learn it but I found that I was naturally quite a therapeutic parent and um you are as well so I think you must you must have made a massive impact on so many kids lives so many kids without even really being aware that you were doing it um just the way you naturally are and how nurturing you are um and I've seen things, I've seen things on Facebook when you, some of your old students and so you, you can see what they all thought of you. They're lovely, they're you lovely. Adored as a teacher, you can see that. Um, and I think, you know, I think we do have to um, talk about the fact that you were a teacher, you absolutely loved your adored job. Adored my job, absolutely you adored really my job. your job. You had no intention of not doing your job any longer but parenting a child with FASD has meant it becomes untenable you can't do it yeah that you've had to and I think this is um um I was reading an article today um about a like a fellow SEN parent and and she was talking about social isolation she was talking about how she's looked back and realized how isolated her life has become over the past three or four years without realizing it and it's like a protection mechanism isn't it you you cut off the things that you know you can't do anymore because it makes things easier for you and for your children and and it, the same happened to me as well sadly one of those things one of the first things often to go is your career yeah and um it's devastating and you're allowed to be devastated about it yeah. because I absolutely loved my job um, I love what I do now but having a job that I went away to was like that was my respite mm -hmm. I'm just being a mom of three small children that was that was my respite and I loved it um and it, it's a huge adjustment and you're allowed to and you know I'm I don't know I think I was about to say there I think I was about to say like oh and I'm like I'm really really blessed to be able to do it and but actually I didn't feel like it wasn't a I don't want to work anymore because I want to just completely dedicate all my time to bringing up my children it wasn't that it was because I was getting to my desk at work and within 15 minutes there was a phone call, from was a phone call. yeah I had, yeah. had to drive 40 minutes back right. and I knew that I couldn't then get back home and then not I'm not going to be able to get back to pick the other two up so I'm just to take all three out now and they'd only been in school for an hour and a half and mm -hmm. I had you know so it's you know it's something that that I did um I'm I don't ever regret it 
it was the probably the best thing I've ever done for my kids. Def definitely the best thing I've ever done for my kids and for my sanity, although that's a fine balance as well. <laughs> <laughs> round the clock, this around the clock being everything for them. Um, yeah, it's a, I think, it, I just think we'll have to acknowledge that, that mm. it's, it's not always a, it's something that we often have to do and it's, it's yeah, a yeah. decision that's out of our hands. Yeah. Really. And then I think people who are on the outside of that kind of go, oh, you know, they, they almost sanctify you. They're almost like, well, you know, you're such a good person. You're such a saint, blah, blah, blah. And I just want to go, no, I'm, I, I didn't want, I didn't want to stop work, you know, and I, for me, because I went on career break and it was supposed to be 10 months and I didn't go back and it's been a, a, I should probably, I guess, have just gone, right, I'm resigning because for me, it's been a, a long, slow, drawn out, I, I guess, grieving process yeah. of leaving that person um, and that when, when you parent kids with FASD, it, it's rewarding, it's rewarding in its own way, but you quite often doubt yourself you quite often doubt what you're doing you quite often think am I making any impact at all am I making this worse am I you know whereas when you're in a classroom you can see the progression you can see mm -hmm. the kids you know you you know that you you know that you make a difference and I guess the the two-way relationship between you and a class and you and kids that you're you're teaching and you're you're getting to know there's more immediate feedback I think with with our kids there is feedback but it's in a different way and it's over a far longer time period you know so I, I think walking away from that is often a big thing for parents it is definitely it definitely is and I think we're kind of I know we're wanting to talk about like a lot we want to talk about the positives because we do try and keep yeah, yeah absolutely and but I think it would be remiss of me certainly is a, a fellow mother who has been left with no other choice mm -hmm. to walk away from a career that she loved I think mm -hmm. it has to be acknowledged and we wouldn't be um you know there's absolutely no shame in it there's, mm -hmm. there's nothing wrong with it it's a very brave thing that we're that we're, we're kind of took on the chin and just did um but that's not to say that like we don't miss it and we don't miss that old life and, and grief yeah. that old life doesn't make us love our kids any less or want to be okay. with them any less um okay. but it's a it is a hard thing to do okay. so I think we we were we want to know I was trying to think of some questions to ask and I think the top question I always want to know whenever I start and get to know um a teacher or an education professional and they start and learn more and more about FASD I always want to know what would be like their top, not top tips, but what would be the top things that they would pass on to anyone who didn't know very much about FASD, who, who was about to walk into a classroom and deal with a child with FASD, what would be the, like the first thing, or like if you could, if you had like 30 seconds to say, this is what you need to know, what would be you know because I was I was like totally prepared as a teacher it's the opposite to the way we live our lives now where it's quite often responding to things I would say do your homework beforehand so know the kids because the basis of everything and it doesn't matter whether your child has FASD autism ADHD whatever in a classroom because you know that child 
and you have a relationship with that child because the relationship is the basis of everything. Um, and if you know what makes them happy, if you know their strengths, if you know when they need movement break, if you know that they're prone to sensory overload, you know, you can know all of that stuff as a professional um, and you can bring that into building that relationship with them. The relationship is the foundation of everything. Yeah. You know, it doesn't matter. You know, we're all humans. We have interaction with each other and, and the basis of that nurture and learning has to be from a place of safety. And do you think from like, so dealing with other kids with FASD, but also with, with your son, something mm-hmm. that I've learned, um, so that the the relationship mm-hmm. is, is vital and also the nurturing side of it, yes. But what I've found is they need someone who is completely in control, like somebody who is... Um, not outwardly controlling, but somebody who is absolutely confident in yeah. what they are doing yeah. and in control. Because if they sniff out nerves or weakness or prevarication, they're yeah. on it. <laughs> then that will it, it will come across as um, probably challenging behaviour or you know some some very silly behaviour. But actually, it's fear. it's it's something I keep saying to school at the moment you know we we were we're on our fourth teacher this year we've moved classroom and we're on different you know change of learning assistant and we're about to make another transition going up a school year um, and I'm getting communications home going he's very cheeky he's argumentative he's he he won't do what he's told he's and I'm kind of like he's looking for boundaries yeah and that, that's what kids do. They seek out boundaries to know that they're secure. And you, as a teacher, would say you don't need to be heavy handed in applying those boundaries, but they do need to be consistent. They, they need to be pointed out. You can do it with a smile and you can say, we'll do this and then we'll do this. Now, then, yep, you do yeah, what you yeah. need to do. Then you do a little bit of this. But I, I would say that's part of the relationship that's building that relationship is mm-hmm. is having those secure boundaries the same way as you do as a parent where they do feel cared for they do feel nurtured but they also feel completely secure because they know exactly where they are and what's going to happen mm-hmm. no. so I think um traditionally in education boundaries equals Discipline, consequences. Discipline, yeah. discipline consequences. And we know, and, it, and unless you understand FASD and unless you live with it and you see it all unfold, when, you know, and I, I've, I've been having this um, conversation with someone who's been dealing with one of my children, when, you know, well, I'm, I'm kind of going to dangle a carrot and then that'll be like the reward at the end of this. Like, no, it's not going to work. Because there's no, like, and, and to try and get somebody to understand that quite often that part of the brain development, it did, that, that bit didn't happen. It's like that little bridge isn't there. So no matter how much you want that to be the case and you believe that should be the case, like I would say it's, it's spectacularly inconvenient, but it is, it, it, it is what it is. It, it's a, a brain injury which means a lot of the neurotypical ways we want to, we want things to work, they can't. No matter how cross or frustrated you may get, they can't work. So 
you know, I think that probably one of the biggest problems within our education system is the discipline and the the, the and ultimately the consequences. But you know, my children. Well, there was an attempt to discipline the brain injury out of my children for years. And but a lot of the time before I really, really knew what I was dealing with, I was I, I was that as well. I was like super nanny, naughty step, mm-hmm. reward charts. I was all of that. And then and getting so frustrated thinking, why? You you know what's gonna happen. You know that you're about to lose that last toy. Why are you doing this? And and I would ask that. Like the worst thing in the world that you could ask. Why, Why have you just done that? <laughs> yeah. The answer is I don't know. Rip my own tongue out because uh-huh. I realised how scared I was making my kids uh-huh. because you know I'm meant to be in control and I'm going. Why have you just done that? And they're thinking I don't know. Like and that must just be a really scary situation, which is when things would escalate. So then when I look back, nine times out of ten some of the worst muddles and the worst situations we have had in our home I've triggered them my my actions have triggered them my voice my language so the person who's in charge the adult who is in charge has got such a massive influence and nobody has a bigger influence than a teacher yeah it's such a huge, huge influence. But I can imagine, like, because I, I always used to joke before I knew what we were dealing with, with a diagnosis with mine, I used to joke and say, I don't know how a teacher can deal with 29 other kids and one of mine in a class. Like, I do, just don't know how they do it. And and that, that still stands. Like, I think it must just be really daunting. And I think it's, I think, probably even a little bit more frustrating as teachers are, as more information about FASD is becoming apparent and it's becoming much more available, I can only imagine as a teacher that might panic me a little bit more thinking. Oh yeah, mm. another thing to have to do. Yes. Uh-huh. And, they, and, and when you understand how prevalent it is and when you understand the chances are you absolutely have a child in your class with this brain injury and you... And, to, and I think because I think what's so unique about FASD is the impact that we can make, that the, we can really, really guide down another road of learning if we if we put the right kind of roadblocks in place. Yeah, I mean, I would say when you when you get your class list and you get your your kids with additional support needs and you look up, you know, their IEP or or whatever it is and you see alphabet soup of diagnoses, or you see the one the one that used to make me laugh is needs firm boundaries. No, that, that's teacher speak for something completely different. Yeah. Um, and you, you would look and you would go, holy hell, how am I going to teach this kid? And then lo and behold, the kids would walk into your class without two heads and they would mm-hmm. sit down and they would be okay maybe a high octane kid maybe a high energy kid maybe quite a defiant kid but they wouldn't be the devil incarnate you know and I think that you can teach kids with really complex needs you know my one of my all-time favorite classes were a class composed 
purely of what I would call S2 boys, so year eight for you guys. And all of them had at least three or four diagnoses. And they were absolutely bonkers. They were crazy. And I had them last thing in the day. And S2 is a terrible year anyway, because the hormones are just kicking in. But we found our way. We found things that worked for us. And as a teacher, it doesn't matter the diagnosis. Mm -hmm. If there is curiosity and empathy at the heart of it, and you have your secure boundaries, it works. You find a way to make it work. Now, every teacher, knowingly or not, has taught a kid who's got FASD. And they might have done a lot of things quite instinctively as practitioners that will help without knowing. So I, there are a few that I've taught who have definitely, I know now, um, got FASD. One of them must be 21, 22 now. And um, he had, looking back on it, the the classic signs of it. but, you know, I, I moved him to a different seat in the classroom where he wasn't so distracted by all the auditory and the, the, the visual stimulation. And I gave him movement breaks and I allowed him to articulate because he, he had to talk, you know. Um, and I put scaffolding in place for his writing. And that's it, it's just what you, you pull out your toolbox as a teacher and you think, I wonder if this this works with this kid. So you can be quite daunted, I guess when you look at that stuff to start with but when you actually see the kid in front of you it 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 makes sense it works nine times out of ten I'm not I'm not saying it it always does but you know there there are always kids that can't do in a class of 30. Yeah and I think when you're when you're saying that it's like putting those things in place regard like so you think back and you think about this child who you absolutely know had FASD now, you know that. But at the time, you didn't even know what it was, let alone this child had it. But you knew that where they were sitting wasn't working. You knew that then they need to get off that seat and move around. So I'm going to give them a job to do. You instinctively knew these things. And actually, everything you're rhyming off there would be on our kind of how-to list of what to do. So I think... One of the positive things that I think about FESD, because we talk so much about um, neurodiverse, and so this is a this isn't a neural difference. Like, so there's a huge difference between FESD and autism, because FESD is a brain injury, and autism is a neural difference. Mm-hmm. So, and quite often our kids have both alongside each other for definite. But I think that the 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 thing that excites me a little bit about FASD and about working with it and education is that unlike a lot of other situations or diagnosis, there are there are some kind of fa- like fail proof. Is that the right word? Fail proof? No. Fail safe. Fail safe. There are some, there are a handful of fail safe interventions that that certainly will do no harm and chances mm-hmm. are will will really we'll do really, a lot of good yeah, yeah will do, make a huge difference and the thing with FASD um is that those things aren't complex they're not complicated mm-hmm. they're not costly the, yeah no they, they don't cost they're not you've just got to get your head around it understand what you're dealing with and when yeah. you do when you yeah. understand it I believe if you do a little bit of homework about it which I think 
it would be in the interest of every single teacher to do when you understand the science and the biology of it because it is it's black and white yeah. it isn't it isn't a psychological opinion it is black and white it is it is biology when you understand that i just think it increases your tolerance a hundredfold of any behavioral symptom that falls out from it because it's a, it's a brain injury it's a catastrophic brain injury and I think when you when you learn about that but I think I think it must be quite daunting for teachers to think, think I've got a teacher I've got to know all about this as well but the challenge I think is when you have a class of 30 kids in front of you and let's say your child with FESD isn't the only child in that class who's got additional needs um and they do need regular movement breaks or you do need to check in with them regularly or you do need to set them five questions and come back and check because they can't manage 20. You know, it's you're spinning so many plates. It's can you remember to do this? Can you remember that you need to go back and check in them then? Can you remember it's time for their movement break, you know, um, or to change their visual timetable or whatever or get them to do it? Um, and I think where things fall apart in a classroom is just because teachers have to remember and do so much mm -hmm. and this year more than any other you know covid has put staff stress levels through the roof um and they're dealing with stressed kids a lot of the time stressed mm -hmm. and anxious kids too um and quite often there's staff absences due to either vaccinations or self-isolation and you know they might be down PSAs um, and that introduces more uncertainty for our kids that need certainty you know because even if there's a like a supply teacher mm -hmm. like I, I look back to when I was at school and if you had a supply teacher for a lesson there was always the same kid certainly in secondary yeah, school gloves off it's fair game <laughs> yeah off. and it would just yeah. be like but actually when you look back now with the knowledge you've got that was them some of them just kids like that but but some of them that was them in fight or flight that was them totally dysregulated because yeah. they caught, couldn't cope with that unplanned change um and like you say with all the best will in the world you know with every single adjustment in place covid has just blown the Everything best planning out of the water completely this year. So it is so, so difficult for teachers. Um, and I think teachers are now dealing with dealing with children who never probably would have been on the radar for mental health difficulties. Because you know, so they would have been the children who typically would have sailed through, but COVID means that they are suffering from anxiety when those typically those kind of children probably wouldn't have suffered from anxiety so it's it's it is such a phenomenal ask of teachers now um and I think you know coming up to the summer holidays and then coming back again in September you know you would like to think it's going to look like as close to what normal ever did back in school but you just don't know, I don't yeah. know. and I think what what we've got here because the three of us are immersed in a world where we're used to dealing with trauma and we're used to dealing with triggers and we're used to dealing with neurodiversity. The entire country has gone through 18 months of quite profound trauma. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And 
you are now looking at in education, not only having, certainly in Scotland, we are fully inclusive. I think you pretty much are in England as well. We have very few special schools. So we have kids with very complex needs, social and emotional behavioural needs in mainstream school, big class sizes, small budget. You've got all the COVID stuff and you've got pupils and staff who are recovering from trauma or trying to recover or trying, trying to deal with trauma. And um, if you're talking about the fight, flight or freeze mechanism and or what I would call downstairs and upstairs brain, if I was talking to Archie, we're all inhabiting our downstairs brains a lot more than our upstairs brains. And when you're a teacher who's having to control that in themselves, as mm-hmm. well as yeah. in the children in their classroom, it's it's very, very complex at the moment. Yeah. That's it. Claire, you always say, like, you know, you one of the most important things that you need to do is to regulate yourself uh-huh. in order for your household to be regulated, in order for your children to be regulated. And and that it will be, you know, the, the same as, as you were just saying, Elsa, that's that's the same for the teacher. If you go in there and you're you're in fight, flight or freeze and and you know you're not in a place where you're coping with the situation then you, you've then you've got a class full of 30 pupils and you know everything gets settled and then the school gets closed again uh-huh. or there's a school holiday uh-huh. or you know all these additional things that <clears throat> yeah there's just you know there's a lot isn't it I think even to you to give an example, if I was driving, I would never be driving in the car with all three of my kids because I'm. <laughs> if I was driving in the car with one or possibly two, definitely not two boys, a boy and a girl in my car, and if even if I'm not verbalising anything, but if I'm a little bit unsure of where I'm meant to be going, or if I've got to be somewhere for a time, and I'm like I'm a little bit lost, I'm not sure where I'm meant to be. Just that l- low level anxiety of like oh a little bit stressed if I'm in busy traffic and I don't know where I'm meant to be that could trigger and shape and ruin the rest of the entire day for the kids so it's the first time I really thought about that if you imagine a teacher who doesn't even know are they going to be are they going to be in the classroom next week is she going to be having to be preparing work to be delivering online but then are the key worker children going to be in as well and so the our kids will be sniffing that out constantly. And that's not a criticism of teachers because I don't, I don't, I don't want to have the functioning full stop. Mm-hmm. Um, but that that is, that's a huge element of, and then you'll see kids kind of acting out or having challenging behaviours. And it's just, they've got no control over which part of the brain they're in. Mm-hmm. They want to be out of the bottom bit, but they can't get out of the bottom bit. Yeah. Or they hold it together and suppress it in school and you get you get your meltdowns at home, mm-hmm. which we've certainly seen a massive increase in the yeah. past little while. Yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. But that, in actual fact, is progress for Archie. Because when Archie went into P1, Archie would act out in school. He couldn't suppress. He couldn't mask. Now he can. Mm-hmm. So, you know, that's a... It's, it's, it's not a good thing for him because obviously he feels really anxious, but it's, if you like, a skill that he's it's sort of learned. To cause life, to get through life, because you uh-huh. know, whether we like it or not, that, that is what life will look like a lot of the time, uh-huh. learning ways to cope in certain uh-huh. situations and then 
learning techniques to let all of that out in a safe yeah. way. Yeah. But do you feel, Claire, that if your kids had diagnosis, so Archie had diagnosis by age of five, um, and he had, oh, damn near killed me, but he had full-time odd hours before he went into primary one, and he had medication just after he was in primary one. Um, and we had framed things, and we had to fight, um, but we framed things as a disability. Um, so that the head at that time who didn't want him in school, wanted him at a special school, had to legally take him. Um, his head now is amazing. She's she's totally new head. But um, the school has always understood Archie, Archie's differences as a brain injury. And so while staff have sometimes been quite frustrated with him, they've never been punitive. And I think that has made a huge difference to Archie's experience of school and his life changing. Yeah, it is life changing. And that is the importance of a diagnosis at the right time mm -hmm. and as early as possible. It is a light, it's life changing. My kids lives would be completely so different. They would not look the way they do now mm -hmm. if I hadn't um, had to kind of unpick it for myself over the space of nearly mm -hmm. a decade mm -hmm. um you know so they the you're working your way through primary school and it's just all of these difficult behaviors and challenging behaviors and 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 it was a brain injury you know and I, I've, I've all I've said it before and I'll say it again if it had if we'd all been involved in a car accident and all three of them had sustained a brain injury people would fall over themselves to help everyone yeah. would fall over themselves yeah. to help um, and that and that's the difference and I think that is that that's why I fight so hard that's why I'm involved with the nice quality standards yeah. because the diagnosis at the right time is the most important mm -hmm. thing and it might be that you don't it might be that there's no specific therapy put in place it might be that medication's not needed my children aren't medicated it, it might be that not a lot of things change, but the most important thing that that child needs around them is for everybody who deals with them to understand that they've got a brain injury, that they are not naughty, belligerent, difficult children, that they yeah. haven't got social, emotional, mental health problems. Those come They're as secondary. Yeah. of yeah. education crippling them emotionally. Yeah. Yeah. You know, yeah. but in I believe in 10 years time we won't even be having this kind of conversation and I'll hunt these episodes back out we won't because it'll be it will be a different world there we are we are on the cusp of a, a real change a, a sea change yeah. and it's um it's a very frustrating time to be a parent and a professional but yeah. it's also quite an exciting time because you can see that that change is coming and that in some small way, you're going to play your part in that as well, you know? It, it really excites me. And then I just get crushed by a wave of sadness mm -hmm. that my kids aren't going to benefit from this. And it, it excites us that I play a role in it. Mm -hmm. But then, and I, I wouldn't do anything else, but it does make us sad to think that they have had to suffer and are suffering for us to learn these lessons to be able to put things in place. Um, but the focus at the minute is on on education and early diagnosis and early intervention and everything else. There will come a day when your children benefit from living within a society who 
not necessarily understands FASD, but has that moment of like, pause, something's going on here with this individual, click on the empathy, I don't know their story, but let's move forward. At least an awareness of it, like in a world where you don't have to lie and say um, that it's autism. Yeah. You know, if you're in a situation, I don't know how many times I've had to say, um, no, or, like I need a little bit of help here, or um, my child's autistic and I'm, I'm, I've got like five more seconds before something happens, can you help us with this? Um, and simply because I knew that that person would absolutely know what autism was mm -hmm. and it would be a, a social acceptance of that. Mm -hmm. um, so yeah, I think it is, it, it is, it's, it, it's dead exciting and it's dead positive. And I know you, you know, you, you two specifically are doing tons of work um, when it comes to education and, you know, you're going to be responsible for so many teachers and education professionals understanding exactly what it is that they're dealing with and exactly how to deal with it. So it is, it is really positive and it is really exciting. Um, but it's a hard it's bloody slog as well. It's hard, it really is. It's hard. And you know, the other thing, although we have an early diagnosis and we have, you know, all the professionals, good team, blah, 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 doesn't stop you worrying, Claire. Yeah. You know, you know, you said in podcast um, two or three episodes back that your goal was to keep your kids out of prison, or certainly the boys. Mm -hmm. It's mine. Same goal. And I felt ridiculous in his child planning meeting a couple of days ago saying, you think I'm daft, he's only eight. But you have to get this right now. You have to continue getting it right now because education is the single most protective factor against secondary mm -hmm. conditions. And my goal is not for him to get a clutch of A's in his hires. My goal is for him not to end up in prison. And you can see them kind of going, it's a bit of an overreaction, he's only eight. And I'm going, you don't get it. You really don't not get it. Statistics, <laughs> when they look at the statistics, it's, it, mm -hmm. it, 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 it's very, very real. And that's what, that has fueled me now for about 12 years, every single day, day in, day out. Because mm -hmm. um, the statistics for male children, mm -hmm. it, yep. they're higher than for female. And that is what absolutely fuels me. Um, and that's why education, it, play, it plays the biggest role. And, and I, I feel like education doesn't, doesn't see that it plays that role, yes. Mm -hmm. um, professionals say that to me, actually. Um, a professional psychiatrist uh, who had been treating kids with FASD in a clinic. This was in America. And it was quite early on in my PhD. And I was sort of saying... <clears throat> you know well, well what are the measures like you know because obviously it's, it's all private in America it's all you know it's, it's paid for anyway and I was like so so how long do you work with kids for like what are the measures like how do you determine when they're done with treatment like what are you working towards and I understand it's individual but what is it that you would typically be working towards and he was like to be honest with you my biggest aim is to keep them out of prison and that shocked me. I was like, not that far into my PhD. I didn't really, hadn't had much contact with anybody with FASD. And I was like, what the heck? Like people are paying you to treat their kids. And you know, my my understanding of it was probably, well, it was very limited back then. I was like, what? That That's literally it? That's it, yeah. But no, that is it. Like that's, and I guess. Yeah. You know, I, mean, I wouldn't. I wouldn't say that. It's, 
that's it's it's not it's not my only goal for him and I guess it's it's not it wouldn't be yours Jess for the kids you're working with or yours for the kids your parents in Claire but I mean you have to be realistic and I think when you when you parent a child like that and you see them develop you you have to keep adjusting your expectations you know and what can they do play to their strengths you know what do they like doing where are they happiest you know how can you how can you set them up for the best life chances where they are to some extent sheltered and they are surrounded by people who will nurture them and who do understand them and how can they how can they grow and develop and be happy yeah and successful yeah for for anybody (laughs) I mean, God, for anybody who's just coming across this episode as their first introduction to FASD. Um, yeah, sorry about that. Sorry back. <laughs> like, you've come in a bit late in the story. But, um, you know, what, what we're saying by that is that that first and foremost, keeping them out of prison, or keeping them alive, step one, yeah. keeping them out of prison, step two. And obviously, there's loads and loads of building blocks that, that we're all working towards of, you know, having... A, a fulfilling life, having a job that that they enjoy, not suffering from mental health problems. There are all these additional things, but the statistics say that, unfortunately, you know, prison is is a real danger, and that's that's a lot of why we're focusing so heavily on education. And it's not to batter the education system and say you need to do more, you need to do this. This is another thing you need to learn about. Blah blah blah. We're we're, we're trying to help you learn about that and as much as you know we're probably not in the best position right now to be saying contact us we'll help you but as much as we can we're you know we're trying to help but the, the most you know the, the most important thing is what we would say is the paradigm shift is the shift in thinking and understanding yeah. and yeah. that costs nothing yeah all it all it really needs is a shift in mindset. And as Claire says, it's the science behind it. Mm-hmm. It is on a molecular level that alcohol messes about the building blocks of the brain and the body, you know, and that's irrefutable scientific fact. Mm-hmm. And if you take that as your starting point and the behaviours are secondary, they're a symptom of a brain injury, then any professional working with kids in a classroom is going to have a degree of empathy and try and understand a little bit more. Yeah. And if that's the only thing that happens, mm-hmm. that's the life-changing shift yeah. for, the, yeah. for the kids who are yeah. taught by that individual. Yeah. So that 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 in itself can be enough because if you're in, you know, any decent human, if they understand that, mm-hmm. they will respond in a certain yeah. way to yeah. a fellow human, and and that's sometimes all it takes. That's that's enough that's quite often. Takes. And it, yeah. it so fundamentally changes the way that that child feels about himself or herself. Mm-hmm. So we guy came home from nursery when he was three and it is the day I decided I had to take a career break. And he said to me at bedtime, I'm bad and I make everyone sad. And I was just like, this is not right. This is absolutely not right. I, I know you have behaviour problems. I know that things are tough but you're absolutely not a bad person. And there's that, it wasn't guilt, it was shame, that shame that he felt at three. Mm-hmm. Um, and I was like, no, 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 no. <laughs> no, that, that this is not going to happen. You are not going to grow up thinking that about yourself. And that's what every professional in a classroom should 
have in their minds about any kid, let alone a kid who has a brain injury like FASD or potential brain injury, the way that you approach that child will tell them something about themselves. Yeah. You know, and they are, they are challenging, of course, it's bloody challenging. You know, and, and, and you might walk out of the classroom and quietly scream or swear, but you are giving that child a message about themselves. And if you understand that they've got a brain injury, then you can support it. Yeah. You know, you know, so we, I is now, at, he does chances. See, they go through this stage. They're not daft. They might have a brain injury, but they're not daft. And he'll, he'll turn around and go, no, 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 no. I need more processing time for this. Like, shut up. Just shut up from there. No, no, no. I, I know there's a tricky transition coming up, so I need to do X, Y, and Z. You know, and he plays it. He tries to play it. But, you know, if you... If you know him, you know when he needs more processing time because there are there are tales where he'll shake his head and he'll get quite agitated because yeah, it's it's just like I'm I'm doing one thing, don't tell me to do another at the same time. Um, you know, but once he's through that stage of I've got FASD, this means I'm a little bit different and sometimes I can swing the lead. Um once he gets past that and actually gets onto the stage of you're gonna need to give me ten minutes for this question instead of five and that's the stage I want him to get to uh, yeah. where he turns around and has the confidence to say I need more time because or I need a movement break because you know um and to own it yeah yeah and that's like that's um a little bit more kind than the way my daughter says it because to, we, we're going through a little phase of um, having a drive for a good hour every night and that's kind of keeping her quite regulated with a cold drink, very, very loud music. Um, and we're on our way to get the drink before we're on the drive tonight and I'm just kind of chattering away and she went, oh, there are a lot of words coming out of your mouth into my ears now. <laughs> you could almost have heard that from somewhere, Claire. Is that not you give? Is that not her giving you your words back? No, I actually blushed. I went, I was like, oh, ooh. I was. She went, you told us something about the person in that car there. Then you told us something about that boy on there on that bike. And now you're talking about that dog. Right, I am. <laughs> I was just so excited to be away from just, just to just have one. Like, let's, let's speed away. But yeah, oh, there are a lot of words coming out of your mouth into my ears. She's hilarious. She is. She's the funniest person I've ever met. Um, she just absolutely shreds me on a daily basis. Um, so yeah, I think it's um, they're glorious, glorious, complex creatures. Um, and I think you'll never ever forget teaching um yeah, children with so much from them. Can't even remember who it was, which professional it was that said it. It was somebody who knows a lot about FASD. Um, and it was, you know, they're 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 easy to love but hard to teach kids with FASD. Yeah. <laughs> there there's something about them that is very, very lovable, very endearing, bloody oh, hell yeah. the drive mental. Yeah. Really funny, <laughs> amazing senses of humour, really, really yeah. funny. Yeah. Um Oh, well, yes, it's been lovely talking to you. Oh, it's been lovely no, talking no to you doubt, guys. No doubt we'll, we'll have you on again talking about lots of different things. Great.
Um, but we knew we couldn't do our uh, education season without having you. It's been with. a pleasure. Thank you very much. Yeah, <laughs> definitely. You know, you can really hear that when you talk about teaching, it's it's coming from such a place of like passion. Um, and you know, you can tell that your your heart's really in it, and you took that therapeutic approach, as Claire said at the start. You know, that ther- therapeutic approach to parenting into your classroom, and like, you know, that's what that's what that's what we want to spread. That's what we want to spread throughout the These whole. Kids education. are fab. They're not scary. Promise. <laughs> Well, so um, as always, if anyone's got any questions, if any topics specifically around education that you want to either just pick our brains about or, or get us to talk about, then please get in touch with us on our social media and hopefully you'll tune in again next week. And we will try to reply as, as in, in a reasonable time frame. <laughs> Thank you.